Hi everyone. Just a quick message to thank our Patreons. This show is a one-man operation, and sometimes the costs of running the show make me wonder whether it's worthwhile. You guys answer that question for me. Our Patreons not only receive the episodes earlier than everyone on the standard feed, they also get extra episodes in the break in between seasons. I, like you, support the shows I listen to through Patreon. However, some people have asked if there's an alternate way that they can support the show. So, I'm glad to announce that if you're willing to support the content you listen to, you can go and buy me a coffee. It's a new website which allows you to make a one-time donation. And you can find the link for that, along with our Patreon link, in the show notes. Again, thank you to all of our supporters. You really do allow the show to continue. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal, Season 3. Hello, and welcome to The Dark Paranormal. Thank you so much for the feedback regarding last week's episode, The Haunting of Hanneth Hall. Many of you, just like myself, were excited to hear of a story investigated by the SPR which doesn't get much press, rightly or wrongly. And in truth, that's one of the main reasons i done this second podcast, The Dark Paranormal. Let's be quite frank, we're all paranormal fans here, so I think it's a good thing when we all learn something that we didn't know before, especially when that story or experience carries the weight of the SPR behind it. This week's listener story has been sent in by a listener named Terence, And, in truth, he paints an exceptionally vivid picture of what sounds like an utterly terrifying experience. And, well, that's why we're here, isn't it? To be terrified. But before we place our disbelief to the side, I'd just like to say a big thank you to our newest Patreons. And they are Steve Sant, Charles Murphy, Kathleen Henderson, Patrick Marshall, Crystal L. Hunt. Thank you so much, guys. We've also received our first coffee donation. So a big thank you to Martina McShane for the coffee. As we say at the start of the show, independent shows such as this only survive through your generosity. So a huge heartfelt thanks to everyone who's taken the time to support the show. Okay, I think it's time that we leave our disbelief at the door. We lower the lights and you join me in the dark paranormal. I'd like to share my experience with you about when I was an apprentice electrician way back in the early 80s. Back then, it was quite usual to leave school around your 15th birthday if, like me, you were working class and had an open offer of work, which, thanks to my father being an established electrician for a telephone company, I had. An apprenticeship was as coveted as a university education to people like me back then, as it was basically guaranteed that you would gain full-time employment with a trade for life under your belt. As such, the day I found out I was successful, my dad took me down the pub to celebrate. As I say, different times then. 
My first few weeks were spent shadowing a friend of my father's. The work seemed to be split between visiting houses where they'd report a fault on the line, going to check the cable box at the end of the road, and checking for the fault direct at the exchange. The guy I was with was named Mike, an affable enough chap with a bushy moustache and tattoos on his arms and hands. Mike was a typical northern gent, the sort who had a big heart and wouldn't fall over in a hurricane. Once, I decided to ask about his tattoos, and he told me that prior to becoming an electrician, he was in the Merchant Navy. He said some of the tattoos were like a rite of passage, a sign to fellow sailors that you traverse certain routes. He lifted his shirt sleeve to show a ship with its sails blowing. You get that when you've sailed the Cape Horn, he said. Horrible waters, though, although it was dead calm when we'd done it. This was Mike. It would have been easy to exaggerate how violent the seas were, or how he'd saved the ship from being ravaged in the waves, especially to this wimpy little teenage boy. But he didn't. He was confident enough in who he was, and that made him honest and open. As part of my apprenticeship, every so many weeks there was a type of appraisal. Basically a series of tasks where you were observed by your mentor, in my case Mike, to make sure you were paying attention, and that you hadn't picked up any bad habits. You've got your first appraisal a week Friday, said Mike one morning after picking me up in the van. Now, he started, I'm not too happy with where it's happening, and I'd sooner just get it out of the way. So this particular part of your appraisal will just box off today. Why's that, Mike? I asked. Mike paused. He looked right and left at the junction, as if he was concentrating on the road. But I'd seen Mike sail through junctions like this at peak traffic, so I knew he was preoccupied. Basically, I've been training you on new boxes, new exchanges, and that's because that's all they'll be in a couple of years. All the old exchanges are being ripped out or knocked down. These new ones take up a third of the space, you see. All computerised now. He turned down a road which led to the rural area of town. Maybe one or two houses dotted amongst acres of farmland. Somewhere we hadn't been in the weeks up to now. But for some reason, he said, as there are still some old active exchanges about, they want your first test to be to do a routine fault check on the old network. The issue is, there's only two houses still on the old network. And the old exchange, well, well, it gives me the creeps. As a child, there's nothing more unsettling than a grown man admitting they're afraid of something or somewhere. If this place scared this seafaring barrel of a man, I surely stood no chance of keeping my composure. Little did I know... But that morning as we drove off into the rural countryside, I would have my first, and I hasten to say not my last, paranormal experience. We arrived at the first house within this greenbelt area. Picture a typical English farm cottage. Ivy climbing the walls outside. A white stone path which crunched as we drove up. Well-tended fields. The odd sheep dotting the surrounding landscape. It was postcard perfect, and, as Mike wrenched the handbrake up, the sun broke through the clouds to shine on the homestead. If there was a sight which defined the word picturesque, 
this would be it. Right, said Mike. So it's this house and one over that way which is still on the old exchange. Mike pulled out his old logbook and an even older weathered manual. This, he said patting the worn book, is 50 years old. But it's the only book that can walk you through that exchange. He passed the book over to me. Its cover was battered. Its pages yellowed with age. I skimmed through the book and placed it on the dashboard. Right, let's go then, said Mike. I followed him up to the front door of the house. Mike rung the doorbell and stood back. No answer. Come on, be in, he muttered and pressed the doorbell again. We waited. Still no reply. Shall we just wait in the van? I asked. No, no, we still have real jobs to do today aside from this train in Malarkey. Come on, we'll have to go to Salter's place. I could tell by his body language and the tone of his voice that he was none too keen to head off to wherever and whatever Salter's place was. We pulled out of the picture-perfect driveway and got back onto the narrow country road. As if to match his demeanour, the clouds rolled in and drops of rain began hitting the windscreen from the greying sky. So, what's Salter's place then? I asked hesitantly. Mike leant forward on his steering wheel, as if to see through driving rain. But having worked with him for a few weeks, I'd noticed he'd done this regardless of the weather, and normally when stressed. Salter's place, he began. Well... When I was maybe five or six, it was a working farm. Nice place, really. Farmer Salt ran it. He'd provide the eggs and milk for the village round here. Nice man, by all accounts. He married a woman who had a son from another marriage. And it all went a bit pear-shaped. Finished Mike, tailing off a bit as he ended his sentence. In what way? I asked after a brief silence. Mike raised his eyebrows and sat back in the seat. Well, the lad was about 14, by all accounts. He didn't take too kindly to this new dad giving him chores. You know, farmyard stuff. Anyway, the wife died. Cancer, I think. Leaving Farmer Salt and this adopted son to themselves. They ended up resenting each other and not speaking. The lad took up in one of the barns and Salt kept in the house. He stopped doing the eggs and milk and more or less retired. Anyway, Mike continued, the lad was a bit of a weirdo by all accounts, into witchcraft and the like. So, Farmer Salt died and the farm went to the lad. It stopped being a working farm then. The place went to pot really. He sold off a lot of the land so he had an income. The lazy bastard never worked a day in his life. And he still lives there now? I asked, the fear rising in my chest. Apparently so. Older now, obviously. A mate of mine done a plumbing job for him a few years back. Said he popped his head in the barn, and there were all witchy things on the walls. Things hanging from the ceiling, all spooky stuff like that. Now, The one thing stopping my young self from jumping out of that van and running away is that a few of my friends had also secured apprenticeships 
and they told me about a type of initiation prank the workers had done on them. For example, one guy was told to go to the office and ask for a long stand, which he done, and of course was left standing for hours until it dawned on him. Another had been sent off to a builder's suppliers to ask for three tins of tartan paint. So basically, I was sort of on my guard for this being a prank also. I mean, I trusted Mike, and in all honesty, he didn't seem the type to go in for this sort of immature prank, but I was kind of hoping this would all turn out to be a joke in some way. We turned off down a muddy path. I jumped out to open the wide gate which blocked our way onto the property. Even the gate took some going. It had rusted in parts and clearly, by the way the grass had grown over the bottom, hadn't been used for a vehicle in a long while. Jumping back into the van, the house came into view. From memory now, as I try to remember, it genuinely appeared as if the former house we'd just visited, the picture-perfect one, had been set on fire and put out with muddy water. The entire property looked damned. The white stone gravel path of the other property here was replaced by uneven muddy surfaces, pools of stagnant water dotted about the path. The house had signs of its former glory from the outside. At one point, it must have also had ivy climbing the walls and surrounding the windows. You could tell this by the slightly discoloured lines running across the brickwork, giving the impression the house had veins showing through its unhealthy skin. Mike walked up to the door and pressed the doorbell, but we didn't hear the bell go off. Mustn't work, he said, and he wrapped his knuckles three times on the wooden frame. We stepped back to take in the house. Sincerely, if you'd have said that this house had been vacant and left to nature for a decade, I would have believed you. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step-by-step step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. There was a noise from behind the house to the right. You go check if he's there. Just apologise and say we're here to check the phone line, said Mike. I nodded and slowly walked around the side, avoiding puddles and soggy mud as I went. As I got around the corner, 
a barn came into view, its door ajar. I paused. After Mike's tales, I didn't fancy just popping my head in. So I stayed where I was and shouted, Hello? There was another noise from the barn, as if something heavy was being moved, a metal-on-metal sound. Then a man's voice laughing as if in conversation. Convincing myself I was being silly, I walked over to the barn door and popped my head in. Hell, The barn was totally empty, save for one wall where stacks of hay were piled up about nine foot high. I stepped further in. Hello? Total silence. From the outside, the barn had felt full. It sounded like an active workplace. But now, just empty and cold and quiet. Then, I felt a presence behind me. Suddenly, something grabbed my shoulder and spun me around. You can't just walk in places, that's trespassing, that is. Mike quietly shouted, leading me out by my jacket. Sorry, Mike, I apologised. There was someone in the barn, though. I heard them laughing, that's why I went in. Mike's face dropped, and he glanced around the area. I don't like it here. Something isn't right. We started walking back to the van. As we walked, Mike suddenly stopped. He was looking at a small green box attached to the house. One minute, he said, and walked over to look at it. Crouching down and investigating the small attached item, he walked back over to me. Okay, there's a chance we can just box this thing off here and now. He pointed to the green box. That thing there is what we actually need access to to test this line. In theory, we can carry out the test, then do the exchange test, and that's everything sorted. Do we not need the owner's permission? I asked. Well, not really. See, that box is our company's property. It's leased out to the customers, really. Also, it's not inside his house, so we should be fine. You get your book and I'll get the kit. Now, by way of a quick explanation, how we used to test a line was to attach a piece of kit to the outbound line. This allowed us to check if the line was earthed at any point, which was the only fault I could currently be trained to investigate. If a line was earthed, you knew in two ways. One, the attached meter would show a high reading, and two, you could hear an obvious and distinct crackle on the dial tone once you'd attached your earpiece to test the outbound line. As part of this test, I was to check the property for an earthed line, then confirm all was correct at the exchange end, and then the job will be ticked off as complete. I fetched the guide whilst Mike brought out the kit and an old rag we used to use to kneel on in outdoor conditions. These boxes are beyond straightforward, said Mike. But if you can't find the answer in your guide, come get me, I'll wait in the van. Now, I wasn't a fan of the thought of being left around the side of this house alone. The barn in my periphery, and Mike and the van literally out of sight. But I also couldn't show any fear for a simple line check, teenager or not. 
I opened the box, clipped on the meter, and all looked as it should. So I made a note in my logbook. I attached the earpiece next, and the dial tone seemed fine too. I went to complete my log. When there was a crackle on the line, and the dial tone went off. I unclipped and reclipped the earpiece, in essence replacing the receiver and picking it back up to reset the dial tone. But there was no tone, just a static click every five or so seconds. The sound wasn't the consistent crackling I'd been taught to associate with an earthed line, so I was at a bit of a loss. I was about to go and fetch Mike when I heard a whisper through the earpiece. I panicked. The only rationale I could think was that the tenant was at home. He hadn't heard us knock, maybe, and was now trying to use the phone. The earpiece also didn't allow two-way conversation. I frantically scribbled down hello, just so I could feed this all back to Mike. It whispered again, and this caused me to drop the headset and run to the van. It said... Why were you in my barn? I ran to the van. Mike jumped out, seeing me clearly panicked, and asked what the problem was. He's inside. He's he's using the phone. He's seen me in the barn. Mike looked furious and walked up and hammered on the door. Oi, he boomed. Can you come outside, please? We're just trying to do our job here, and you're scaring this kid for no reason. Although I didn't like being called a kid, I did like the fact Mike was jumping to my defence. Again, silence. There was a sound which was clearly the barn door slamming shut. So, we both raced around the side of the house, and as we thought, the barn was now closed. He's in there, said Mike. I've had enough of this. And he stormed over to the barn. You pack up the kit. I'm going to have a word. I bent to pick up the earpiece. And of course, who wouldn't? I put it to my ear for one last listen as I watched Mike open the barn door. I could hardly believe my ears nor my eyes when I realised as I looked past Mike into the barn, the haystacks from the wall were now away from the wall and placed on the floor in a perfect circle. At the same point I realised this, I heard the exact same laughter I'd heard in the barn, but this time coming through the earpiece. Mike slowly closed the barn door and walked back to me. Looks, um, it looks like those bales have fallen. That must have been how the door closed, he said, and then headed back to the van, scratching his head. I continued to pack up the kit playing what he just said over and over. It didn't make sense. They were in a perfect circle. Also, the doors open outwards. Why would he just assume these things? I now know from shows such as yours that people can cling to what in their mind are normal conclusions when the alternative is just too earth-shifting to comprehend. Mike stayed silent, as did I, as we drove off. Um, just the exchange to see now and then we're all done, said Mike, 
clearly trying to shake the Salter farm off. I remember being terrified, because earlier, Mike had stated that Old Exchange was the scary place. Just how much more scary could it be than that farm? We pulled up to a small building, much smaller than I had imagined, and Mike searched for a key in the glove box. Haven't used this in years, he said, forcing a smile. And finally, he pulled a key out. Come on, he said. I'm not going in there alone after that. Still trying to make this seem jovial, although he was failing massively. We walked into the foyer of this dark, windowless building. It had that clinical, industrial smell, almost as if you could smell electricity. See these towers, he said, and pointed at a row of five tall input boards. These used to manage all the calls in the area. This was the main hub way back then. All of this you see here can just fit in one tower now. He flicked the lights on. Those long fluorescent tubes blinking into life. Right, the one we're after, obviously, is right at the back on the left. It's the only one still in use and it has those two houses on that bank. The door slammed shut behind us, and we both jumped. Bloody hell, shouted Mike. I forgot about that door. It's on a slow hinge and then it just slams. God, I hate this place, I really do. As we walked, you could see each of these individual units had a white printed sticker on them. Arndale Drive, number 1 to 36. Traders Close, number 1 to 5. Each of these units then had a smaller sticker next to the individual inputs and switches, number one, number two, etc. All specific to each house they served. They all now had a piece of white and red sticker tape over each unit, saying, defunct. We reached the unit for Salter's farm, and I got out my guide to look up how to follow the final steps. Mike uttered, Bloody hell. I looked up from the guide and could see blue and white tape over the unit. Does does that mean the line swapped over to the new system? I asked. No, no. Blue and white means discontinued. He walked around the back of the unit. You definitely heard a dial tone. Yes, I said. A hundred percent. Look at this. I followed Mike around the back of the unit. The wires were cut, not unplugged, cut at their base. There's no way the house should have had a dial tone. There's nothing going to it, he said. We walked over to the unit providing the line to the first picturesque house we stopped at, so Mike could show me the difference between a live and a dead service. And from a blinking light to a small hum from the console, it was clear that Salter's farm should not have had a dial tone. I stayed under Mike's wing until I passed my apprenticeship, after which I went to work in a different department. Some years later, a colleague mentioned Mike was retiring, so I went along to his after-work drinks on the arranged date. Midway through the evening, myself and Mike finally got chatting alone about our days together when he suddenly spat out his beer. I've never told you, have I? 
he said enthusiastically, grabbing my arm. They found that guy at Salter's farm, dead in the attic, about a month after you left me. And you know what? They reckon he'd been there for a few years, and no one knew. A shiver went down my spine, thinking about the voice I heard on the line. So you know what that means, said Mike. He was in the attic when we went out to investigate. So if you're still adamant you heard a dial tone and someone talking, you've been speaking to the dead, mate, he said, punching me in the shoulder like it was all a big joke. My heart at this point was pounding out of my chest. At that point in my life, I was still replaying the incidents of Salter's farm, specifically the voice, over and over in my head. So although it was years before, this all felt like a very recent occurrence, and I was once again as terrified as my teenage self. I smiled and took a sip of my beer. When Mike leant in close again, Hey, I didn't tell you this either. When I went in that barn, the hay didn't just fall. It was in a perfect circle on the floor. And on the wall that it was previously up against, there was a load of symbols in black, painted on the wood. He nodded as he sat back in his seat, bloody awful place that being renovated now as a holiday home I'd hate to be the poor bastard that went for the break there he laughed to himself so that's one of my paranormal experiences Kev I'll be sure to send some more in when I get the time oh and I'm searching some sites as we speak to see if that home is still available for breaks I'll let you know if so Thank you so much, Terry, for sending that email in. And of course, if you have other experiences like that, do send them on through. And that applies to everybody who listens to the show. If you think you're sat on a story which warrants coming on the show, type it up and email it across to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. We're almost halfway through season three of Listener Stories. But we do have one or two spaces towards the end of this season, so there's still time to get your story read out. Similar to how this week we heard how Terry was communicating with the dead via an electronic device, next week's story is all about spirit communication. And indeed, the dark paths it can lead you down. So until next week, stay safe, keep your disbelief at arm's length, And I'll speak to you next time on The Dark Paranormal.